Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everyone. This is Mark Ritter, the CEO of MBFS and your host of Credit Union Conversations. So 2021, 2022, uh, those are what I call the good old days for credit unions. I think we're going to sit around uh, 10, 20 years from now and talk about those being the boom times and uh, how great it was and the, the, the deposits and loans kept flowing. And in 2023, uh, we, we knew a correction was going to happen, and we knew things were going to slow down a little bit at some point, uh, as much as we didn't want to admit it. But I think we're there, uh, where our job is a little bit harder, and we got to have a little bit more analytics uh, to get where we want to go and to serve our institutions as best we can. Uh, so I wanted to bring in today... Uh, one of my good friends, one of my board members at MBFS, and one of the more insightful people I know into all-around lending at credit unions, and that is Dustin Holmberg, who is the Vice President of Lending at Clearview Federal Credit Union. Dustin, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. Thank you very much for the wonderful invitation and the introduction there. I I am so glad uh, you could join us today and uh, talk a little bit about what I invited Dustin. I said, I want to talk about the state of the world, and uh, we'll try to solve all the problems today. So let's give it a shot. But before we do, I like to t- uh, have my guests give people their or give their origin stories to the listeners so they know who they're talking to and a little bit about their background. Well, thank you very much. Uh so just like everybody else that's, uh, that's in this industry, I grew up wanting to be a banker, which is actually not true. Uh, I actually <laughs> grew, up in a, grew up in a military family. My dad was, uh, was, ended up retiring as a lieutenant colonel in, in the Air Force. So we moved around quite a bit uh, as I was younger and uh, got to experience a bunch of different parts of the country, um, which gave me you know, absolutely no direction as to what I wanted to do when I, when I kind of grew up. So I had a friend of mine that uh, was working at a bank as a teller and I needed a job going in, you know, as I was working through college and there was a bank across the street. So I decided that, uh, Hey, let's go give it a try. It turned out I was, uh, was okay at this, at this gig and um, did pretty well. I started off uh, for 10 years at a, at a regional bank uh, in the Albuquerque, New Mexico area. Uh, got the opportunity to work up from the teller line all the way up to branch management. Got to start a couple of brand new branches, uh, de novo branches there for the for the organization. Got some great experience, but kind of hit the, uh, the limit of what I was uh, looking to do there at the bank. It's uh, anyone that's worked for a large regional bank like that knows that once you start in a certain place, it's a little difficult to kind of switch around in the bank. So. Uh, Kind of was looking around for other opportunities and and caught on with a with a credit union, a local credit union there in the Albuquerque area, First Financial Credit Union. Uh, went to them as a loan officer and uh, kind of used my time there with them to to learn as much as I could about the business and and uh, 
kind of a, I've got a history of taking jobs that other people uh, didn't want to do or uh, didn't know how to fix. So I didn't necessarily know all, all the time, every time how I was going to fix it to start with, but got in there and got to work hard and, and learned a whole lot about that um, throughout my time there at First Financial. Ended up starting off their commercial lending area, uh, building up the portfolio there and uh, ended up taking over as the VP of lending. And then got an opportunity to move out here to Western PA to come to Clearview. Uh, I've been here at Clearview as the uh, VP of lending for two and a half years. Uh, it's been two and a half wonderful years. Love the people here. Uh, love the opportunity and uh, just really excited about uh, what else happening here. Do you know, I, I, years ago, some of the best career advice that I got was somebody told me, uh, take the jobs that other people don't want. Uh, and that's the best way to, to, to make a mark for yourself. And uh, I, I thought about that, you know, many, many years ago when I was the fifth CEO for MBFS in five years, I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean when you when you say, uh, yeah, let's take this. Uh, it was a job no one else wanted or not a lot of competition for, and I'm going to make it into an opportunity. So you just le- use those as learning experiences. It rounds out. Your and and I, al- I think I've heard you talk about that before. And I also need to do a show on what everybody thought they were going to be doing in life other than working at a credit union. I, I think unless your dad uh, grew up at the credit union, you know, that that's you, it wasn't even an option. Uh, so so I don't know what my kids think they're going to be doing years from now. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it seems like we all have this story about how we kind of wandered over and never left. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's great. It's crazy so, how it works. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it started off with, I was really good at math. So maybe I could do this teller thing. And then, you know, years later, here I am. Well, I sat in a, in a training for the branch and that's how I started because everybody, I was really good at the math and no, everybody else was like, how did you do that? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm just good at math where I had to figure out interest rates and calculations and savings and everything. And I would just sit there in my head and do it and pop off the answers. And every, everybody else, and, and people were like, oh, I guess this guy, you know, and they're like, you seem pretty smart. We'll put you in this area. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the way it kind of goes. I mean, the, the more things you get exposed to, uh, you know, as you grow in your career, it's kind of fun that you, you just yes. get to, you know, if, especially if you pick it up quick, then it becomes even, even more fun. So tell people a little bit about Clearview. Uh, if you're in Western Pennsylvania, you have uh, you, you might know who Clearview is. You, pro- I would guarantee you do know who Clearview is. But we have people from all over the country. So tell people a little bit about uh, who, who you're with now. So Clearview uh, had its origins. Uh, talking, speaking about origin stories, uh, back in the day is the U.S. Airways Federal Credit Union. Became Clearview in 2004. We are now celebrating our 70th year, uh, our 70th anniversary this year, which is really cool. Um, we have recently gone through a CEO change. We have our first female CEO in the history of Clearview, Lisa Florian, who took over um, in April 1st of this year, which is uh, very, very cool, very exciting. Uh, we are a community-based credit union, so we do serve the uh, 10 counties in and around the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania marketplace. And uh, for someone who's not originally from here, that includes a lot of individual townships and you know, different um, you know, boroughs and all sorts of different areas, uh, counties and that kind of thing. Um, 
And I guess, uh, you know, we're very excited, poised to grow. We're about 1.8 billion in assets right now. Uh, we've had some tremendous growth, as you kind of referenced earlier, over the last uh, few years and are looking to grow even further. I, I always like to say the, the field of membership for Clearview is the first priority is you have to be a Steeler fan and uh, what some people would call the Yinzer crowd. And then you have to live in one of the 10 counties. So if you're an Eagles fans or a Browns fan, uh, you also are not eligible for membership. So, Well, yeah, a friend of mine that's a Browns fan introduced me to come here to Clearview. And I think we have a few Eagles fans here. Uh, But yes, uh, that, that's actually, uh, growing up in a military family, that's one of the first things you learn is is who the appropriate local alliance is. <laughs> so you, you packed up uh, you packed up your, your stuff and you went from Albuquerque to Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure you found no differences in life, but if you could come up with a few differences between uh, what it's like to live in Albuquerque and the greater Pittsburgh area and work in that area, what would you tell people? So uh, the living wise is uh, if you if you had to pack up for one place that's a complete opposite. I mean, I, I, that's I guess that's probably it. Going from 300 days of sunshine a year to 250 plus days of cloud cover, uh, that's a little bit different. Um, I, I I will say some of the things that were kind of surprising and and, and have been kind of I, I guess a little bit of a unique challenge out west. Uh, you don't have quite as many cities and townships and all the other kind of local kind of governments that you have out here in the PA area. Uh, you, you kind of, you know, Albuquerque is a city and that's it. And it's got, you know, a couple of little towns that are suburbs. But that's about it. Uh, that's not quite, quite the way that Pittsburgh works. I was also amazed at how hilly it is here. In most cases, uh, you can generally kind of draw a line on, on most cities. You laid out kind of like a grid. Uh, Pittsburgh, you measure drive time in, uh, in, in minutes, um, not necessarily in, in distance as a crow's fly because, you could have a two-mile drive that might take you 25 minutes because you got to go over the hill and through the woods and 17 side streets. And, and, that kind and of over a bridge, and there's plenty of lights, and it backs up in certain areas. So, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a bit uh, different, and both places are wonderful, wonderful people, but, uh, yeah, quite quite different uh, polar opposites. So. Yeah, the, uh, so, yeah, when I moved here, they told me nobody drives across bridges or or goes over the goes across the river and if you you know just look up how many bridges there are in, in Pittsburgh and I kind of wonder do you drive anywhere <laughs> I I've always you know g- g- uh, being a uh, a coal region child myself and, and going there in in the uh, 80s and early 90s uh, pe- people don't realize the difference just and and how much the city has turned over and and what it is like today with the technology and the universities and it's it, it's so much vibrancy you know it, it still has uh, quite a bit of that industrial feel to it uh, but there but but it's changed so much and is really I, I always say it, it's it's an, it's such an attractive place for people to have a good career but also to be able to afford to live there uh, so, oh, yeah, so, so for now it it, it really is a place that that you can, you know, if you want to work in tech, uh, you can, but you, you don't have to pay a, a million dollars for a dump of a house in Silicon Valley. So so you can have the best of both worlds in many cases. 
That's 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 a that's a very good description. So let's uh, start round robining it on some topics, and I'm gonna start out by saying I've been set, sat around enough loan committees and alcos and and everything else, and and we would always sit there and say, you know what, we need to, to we we always looked at deposits as a faucet. We just turn them up when we need it, and we turn it down when we need it. And, you know, let's have an ad in the Sunday paper, uh, and, and we'll have a promo, and we'll get some money in, and that'll be just fine. That is not 2023. What do you see as the, the outlook for the liquidity situation and attracting those deposits out there that, that we're also desperately looking for? Yeah, I, I do know when I originally got into the business, that was that was the way you did it, right? I mean, the first bank that I worked at, I remember having a T-shirt that had a 7% one-year CD uh, advertisement on it. And and that was really kind of your the way that you went about this. And we used to have CD specials that I remember having members walk in and or, or clients back then, I guess. Uh, they'd walk in and they'd have the, they'd have your paper, uh, your your little ad in the paper there and say, I want this. That's definitely not what is uh, what has been the culture today. I mean, I think I think institutions have gotten gotten to be uh, a lot more creative in the way that they've gone about attracting deposits. I think that you have to look at your deposit products and make sure that they're relevant to uh, to the membership today. Make sure that they're really targeting the way people think about money today. You, you think um, with so many of the fintechs that are out there and the way that they the way that they look at accounts. I mean, it, we in the credit union industry talk about share accounts all the time. And in reality, you ask a member out on the street, what's a share account? They think that's the account that they share with either their spouse or their kids or, <laughs> you know, what is, you know, the, 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 the swear jar or whatever the case is, that's their share account. They don't, they don't really actually understand, uh, you know, the whole concept of a share account. So I think, I think reimagining that is, is really something that um, we as an industry are going to have to tackle over the next few years. It, it, the, what I see the challenge is, is I think there's two groups of people. There's the people that still lend uh, and put deposits, and, and I am one of these people, that put deposits within somebody that has branches in their marketplace. Mm -hmm. They'll stop, they'll open an account. They might do it electronically, but generally your options are what's in that area. And the part that I see is the, t the toughest challenge is to get people who they put loans or they put deposits out in the electronic universe uh, to these neo banks, to whatever electronic bank they can find out there with no branches or their branches, they have very limited presence. And you have to be able to get them back into your local marketplace. Uh, you know, what Apple puts out their deposit rate of 4.15. I don't think, you know, the, the, the retired lady is moving her CDs out to Apple. I think it's the young people or, or somebody who's pretty tech savvy moving it from their electronic Goldman, you know, whatever uh, big bank, whatever neo bank it is and moving it out to Apple. So it, it, it's really, we, we got to figure out a way to attract those, the electronic deposits and get them back into the local institutions. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, it, it comes down to experience. And, and that's actually a challenge really for the credit union industry in general. Most of the credit unions are focused on serving people within some geographic limitation. And as increasingly mobile as our society is becoming, that is going to be a challenge. If, you, if you're reliant on people who are used to having their deposits in a place, you know, used to doing their personal banking in a place where uh, they can actually touch and feel and walk into a location like you referenced there, what happens when they move? Yep. The other side of it too is that, is that a ticking time bomb within our industry to say, hey, we've got we've to find a way to solve this challenge because the next generation is not necessarily going to act like the previous generation. We can't always assume that they will. I always tell credit unions that many credit unions, everybody can compete with you, but you can't compete with everybody. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you serve 10 counties in, in a very nice area in an attractive mm -hmm. marketplace, and you can have all these missiles come in and take your people, but you can't go out to these other markets on a very far reach and take their people. So it, it becomes the people who don't have some of the limitations, uh, whether they be a credit union, neobank, big bank, uh, fintech, they're coming in and can take our people, but we can't go outside our, our walls, the castle walls of uh, Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, we talk about that uh, you know, from an executive standpoint, is, is that market share, that, that concept of market share. It's really easy to get that first 1% of market share because really, you, you know, you don't, you can advertise, you can have some cool frills and you can, you can do a few little things to, to get to that. But when you start getting larger, it, you're, you're actually talking about taking market share from other people. And, and like you said, the people that don't have the geographic locations, don't have those handcuffs as it were, uh, are at an advantage because they don't necessarily have to get a large percentage of customers from any one market. They can go to a lot of markets and just get a little tiny bit of that. And then you actually are sitting on a large number to, at the end of the day. So to, uh, to pivot for a little bit, you know, one of the reasons why, why I wanted to have you on is you're, you're very insightful to, to the over, I, I tend to live in the commercial lending world. You live in the entire lending world. So the, the consumer market today, what's the differences that you've seen in, in today's, uh, the 2023 marketplace versus what I'll call my, my pandemic era marketplace, where, uh, you know, to, to get a 2% car loan uh, wasn't unheard of. Uh, and, and what are you seeing in, in either the, the, both the card market and also maybe those vehicle, uh, that vehicle market, which is really kind of almost the bread and butter of a lot of, a lot of credit unions. Yes, yeah, certainly that is the, that, that is in general, the lion's share of, of most credit union portfolios. I mean, I think the, this is kind of why you've seen some of the credit unions get in and getting more into real estate, getting more into commercial loans over the last few years, because you don't want to be beholden to the to the ebbs and flows of the car market. Uh, as you discussed, yeah, it's, it's a little difficult right now. I mean, what's compounding that even further is not only are we looking at interest rates that have gone from 2% to, you know, 7%, 8%. Uh, you know, a recent study that I saw said the average car rate right now in a new vehicle is over 9%. Um, you know, that, that's, 
that's a dramatic effect. But on top of that, you talk about the price of new vehicles. The average price of a new vehicle is nearly $50,000. Thinking back to the first vehicle I bought, it was definitely not a $50,000 vehicle. Uh, that, that, was, that was what rich people buy. Uh, and and yes. now you're looking at that's what the average person is buying. And you know, looking at the number of people, 15% of the population right now having a, a car payment more than $1,000 a month. I mean, I, I still remember the days when that was a, that was a big rent payment, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be even more challenging. And then, and then on top of that, you introduce, you know, the credit unions have done really well over the last two to three years in the auto lending business. But I think much of that has to do with the fact that the, that the captives are not necessarily as strong uh, when you don't have, when you have limited inventory, you don't have to offer a lot of incentives. And so the captives have really kind of been out of the game for a long time. And so I, I think as things normalize, as the supply chains normalize more, you know, more vehicles are out on more lots, maybe consumers start to slow down a little bit. I mean, really we've kind of, even through 2022, still we're able to kind of reap the benefits of some of those supply chain issues uh, from a credit union standpoint, because members had to buy a car. You know, the, the people that are used to trading out their car every two to three years, I mean, they were looking for that option to be able to do that. And they were okay with paying four or five, six, getting into six and a half, maybe 7%. You start getting over that. I mean, it, I am, I'm amazed uh, right now at how many times I see someone coming in with, you know, a $1,500, $1,600 a month car payment. I, that's a, uh, that's definitely not something that's a sustainable business model for the industry. Yeah, I, I, I just think that they're, they're almost going to put themselves out of business if they, if they keep – I, I think inventory is almost being intentionally squeezed a little bit and keeping prices high. And, you know, you're seeing enough out there to fill. But but I don't think anytime soon that you're going to go out and there's going to be a massive lot full of cars. Um, you know, well, I mean, you, to, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say the dealerships, if you look at when their record years for revenue was actually during the pandemic. I mean, a yes. lot of the dealerships, that was when they really made the most money. It's because they had no expenses on the back end. You know, if you're carrying 100, 150 you know, vehicles out of your lot, the dealership doesn't own those outright. They're, they're held on a floor plan. So in essence, they're financed by the dealership. You take away that expense on a monthly basis, that makes up a lot of revenue for the for those dealerships. Yeah, I I, I went out. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm moving to the mountains, and and part of me said I drive a Tesla now, um, and and as nice as that is, uh, you know, sometimes I was thinking, well, if there's a foot of snow, maybe I want an old four-wheel pickup truck just to have for up in the mountains and the 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 idea of an old beater pickup truck to go pick one up doesn't exist i was looking at the prices of these old pickup trucks and i said holy cow i guess uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna stay home or drive my tesla for a little bit longer yeah that's uh that's gonna be a unique challenge for you out in the out in the where you've moved to uh, I imagine yes, the charging yes, stations will. are a little bit less common out there too. Uh, I had, needless to say, I had to install the Tesla charger in my garage because uh, there's not one around for 50 miles. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a different world. It is. It is. 
So, so moving a little bit, uh, the, the, the mortgage market, as we have known it, is minuscule compared to what it was. was. What are you seeing anything out there in the mortgage market, but more maybe in the home equity market? Or, or what's that marketplace look like today for most credit unions? Well, if you're, if you're looking at originations, it's, it's increasing. Uh, as Probably much okay. as there seems to be some softness on the, on, on the consumer demand, uh, home equities, home equity lines of credit are really increasing. Now that, you know, there's one challenge that we're actually starting to encounter here recently um, is a lot of home equity lines of credit are going to be variable rate loans. And there's a lot of members that are used to fixed rate variable loans, if you, if you know what I mean. If, if you've, if you've yes. had a home equity line of credit in the last 10 years, that really hasn't moved all that much. Hasn't. You, you've bet right. And, this year. Yeah, you bet right, and it was a ver- low variable rate, and you had that mm-hmm. for a long time. You did. And so there's a lot of members right now that are getting outside of their, uh, their introductory period and going, well, you didn't tell me the rates were this high. You know, so I mean, it's just a it's a different conversation that we're that we're having with people. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, no, nobody out there is going to refinance a three percent loan at a, at seven percent or six percent or whatever your thirty year rates are right now. And so, really, you're seeing on on anyone that's got a mortgage portfolio that they've that they've portfolioed, uh, your prepay speeds are at historically low levels. I mean, they're really basically when black swan events happen in people's lives. And that's, that's, a, that's about when you're receiving uh, pay, payoffs or pay downs. Um, outside of that, people are holding on to those, which means they're looking at ways to, to be able to um, use the equity in their houses to, uh, to either improve the houses. Um, we hope more often that they improve the houses, but you know, there's a lot of them out there using it for consolidating debt and consolidating uh, other higher interest rate um, liabilities that they have. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting over because the quote refinance marketplace in a refi boom that's not coming back anytime soon. It's not coming back this year. It's not coming back next year. Who knows when it's going to come back? And you better have good quality home equity products to offer to your people and be able to, to deliver it efficiently and effectively. Because uh, if, if you're just waiting for the next more round of mortgages to boom time, uh, you could be waiting a long, long time. And, and I also think this wave of low interest rate loans is essentially going to freeze a lot of people in their home for a long time who's just going to ride it out. Uh, maybe they won't go to that retirement home or you know move to that vacation home or or a different area when the kids leave because it would cost a lot of money to to move and to to the point of uh, well I'm just going to let this ride out un- until uh, the market shifts. I think that's a that's a perfect point. I I don't you know you you look at what you know I, I like to talk a lot about. Anytime that you make a product, um, or or you create a fee, or you or, or you set a pricing strategy, what are we trying to achieve with this? What what kind of behavior are we trying to drive uh, within our membership? Um, and if you look at all the all the economic incentives right now, say stay where you're at. 
there, yeah, there is no there is no benefit to moving. Uh, and, and yet still some 30, 35 percent of all houses sold right now are new houses, which is still an astonishing number to me. For anybody who uh, it, it thinks, well, the markets, the housing market is lousy. Uh, you know, I, I just put my house on the market and we had 43 showings in five days and multiple offers and received a very attractive price. So it's out there. But I it was is. just amazed. It was all cash. I, I figured out the mortgage wow. market because if you came in with mortgage contingencies, those were in the bottom of the stack. Uh, it, 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 you, you really had to come in with cash offers. Uh, with no contingencies, no appraisals, no uh, inspections, or or you were at the bottom of the pile. So it, it was quite eye-opening for me uh, because I was just used to uh, traditional home buying where we have a contingency that we have to sell the home. We have a contingency that we're going to appraise the home. Nope, that, that wasn't even on the table. So, wow. yeah, it's... I, I would not buy a home like that, but too big of an investment, too big a risk for me. Yeah, if you still if you still look at it, I mean, nationwide, we're talking about a shortage in, in houses. I mean, the inventory is still a problem. So, you know, yes. in your typical cycles, when buyer activity slows down, prices really start to drop. That's not necessarily what you're seeing as, as quickly in the market today. I mean, because really, if someone has sold their house, it's not like there's 10 other options that you can go out there and look at. I mean, you, no. you find the inventory is so low in so many places across the country that uh, mm. it, it really is a, it really is a challenge. And that's interesting that you say that, you know, that much cash coming into the deals. I mean, that's really, we started hearing, you know, I, I'd rather hear cash going into deals like this, but, uh, you know, the last time that we had the big R word that, that kept surfacing this as frequently as it is right now, um, we, we had a lot of that type of stuff going on, but most of that was leveraged, uh, which, is, which is definitely not what you see in today's market. Uh, not at all. So moving to look at uh, commercial loans. So when I look at some of the data out there as an industry, uh, to, to give people a perspective on where we're at. Mm -hmm. So last year in 2022, our industry funded over $52 billion of commercial loans. And this year, our industry is looking, if we continue the pace of the first quarter, we're going to fund about $34 billion in loans, down about 35%. It's not, uh, it, it, it's down, but it's not down as the residential mortgage. You know, there's still some activity. No. Mm -hmm. So what's your perspective in managing quality and quantity this year? Because, you know, and, and also, I'm not just saying this, but because uh, Clearview is an owner, but they, they have an excellent and, and deep team uh, of quality professionals there. So, so they, you, you, you really have, have a good team there. But, but what's your perspective on, on quality and quantity? I, I think that, you know, as lending standards start to, start to tighten up, you know, I, I've never been one of those that follows the, the market. I, I think you should, you should stay open and you should stay available to your membership and communicate that to the market. I think anytime you start pulling back on lending, I think that's a, that you're sending signals to people. Um, 
that being said, yeah, there are some parts of the, you know, the commercial real estate area that, that are a little soft, but I think that's just opportunities for us to be able to go out there and, and look at deals. Now, are we a little bit more, um, are, are we going to ask for some more cash down from, from our borrowers? Yeah, naturally, because, because the prices haven't really softened to equalize to, you know, what you would, what you would naturally need for your debt service coverage ratios and such. So, I mean, you know, are there some challenges in the, in the commercial real estate area? Yeah, there are. Um, is it impossible to navigate? No. I mean, I think we, we're still looking at deals. We're still um, available. Do we start seeing a few more uh, referrals from brokers that we've not necessarily worked with in the past as much? Yeah. Um, but we're still just as selective as we've always been. And, you know, that's the nice thing is as you start seeing credit quality standards tighten around you. If you're the one that's still consistent and available and, and still underwriting with a disciplined approach, you're going to get access to a lot more deals than you would otherwise. I, I have said many times in the credit union space with regards to commercial lending, there's a lot of merit in being boring. And if you stick to the basics, stick to good credit, stick to understanding your marketplace, you can do pretty well. Where I get nervous is the people who try to time the marketplace and time the trends. Yeah. Hey, this types of properties are hot. I want to finance these. Or you read the headline news. And I just had this conversation with, with a credit union that, that wanted to talk with us where they have a billion dollar, they're a billion dollar credit union and they were shutting it down. Uh, well, liquidity's tight. So we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to shut it down for now. You just don't flip, you know, once you do that, you're dead for a long time. You, you just, yeah, you, you've lost your position in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you, I mean, I'm, again, I, I'm very big on, you know, what message are you telling people in the marketplace? You're essentially telling them that you don't want their loans. And I think that's a really dangerous position to put yourself in because it's not a, you know, we, we try to, we tend to oversimplify things sometimes in the credit union industry, because when you have a closed seg group, that's a single seg um, membership base. Yeah. You can be a little bit more selective in the way that you go about selecting your business. But as you start competing in a larger market, you really can't do that. Uh, your ability to turn on the nozzle and turn it off is, is severely hampered. And um, I, I've seen it all too often when people say, well, we're just going to get out of this for a little while. Well, always when you try to time the market, you either move too soon, you move too late. It's impossible to time it perfectly. And on top of that, you know, if you're not making loans through the time when the interest rates are peaking out, you're actually going to be missing those loans and those revenues on the back end um, as the as the rate market starts coming back down. And you know you can't make that revenue back up once you lose it. This is the time where credit unions have an opportunity to make higher quality loans at Absolutely. better rates than they have ever had in the last fifteen years. I completely agree. So. So you're the vice president of lending at a large mm -hmm. credit union. And I am sure 
every day in your email inbox or on LinkedIn or a phone call, you get solicited by probably a dozen fintech lenders, partners, every sort of sales uh, sales company, third-party originator that, that you can imagine. When you hear the, the fintechs, the third-party originators, everybody who has the solution to drive all this loan to you, what's the first ones that you sort of say, not for me? And then what ones do you sort of say, okay, let's put this in the stack of taking a second look at? You know, I, that, that's, a, that's a really great question because that has been a, a major challenge for us over the last, let's say, two to three years. I mean, we are inundated with people saying every other day that they've got the magic bullet to solve every problem that we've ever had. And, uh, you know, technology in and of itself is a great tool, but it has to be implemented in a way that works within the strategy of the organization. You have to be able to take advantage of the technology that you're looking at. And so, I think one of the big things is, you know, to, to us, you know, this is one area where I think credit unions actually get it right is we are kind of a copycat industry. And I think, I think, I think we are much more open to sharing and working with each other and kind of sharing our experiences than what I experienced in the banking market, which was very competition driven. Uh, nobody's really going to tell you what they're working on technologically because it you know, you could come take my area or whatever the case is. And so, you know, the credit union industry is, is very, very different. We we really openly share what are our thoughts, what are our ideas. And I actually have a bunch of different people, you know, a bunch of different colleagues that I can come up to and say, well, what was your thinking or what was your thought process going into X, Y, or Z uh, project? What were the things that you would have done differently? And I actually get really good answers from people. And so, you know, to me, if it's someone that I've never heard of, it's really hard to get through to me until you get some type of a connection to somebody else that I know or some other you know technology that it, that I'm familiar with. Uh, because like you said, there are so many that are out there and every single one of them says they can do it better than what you're doing today. Everybody has the origin story to fill a, a gap in our marketplace and can do it for us. But yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting world um, it, the, with all the solutions out there, uh, and and many times uh, that once you dig under the covers, they they're just ideas. Uh, and you, and you, you say, oh, wait, wait, no, is this an idea or are you a company doing this today? So. That's a big part of it is, is understanding the proof of concept. Does it actually work? And, and understand what do you want it to do? Does it work for what you want it to do? Just because someone else says it does, doesn't mean it necessarily works within the culture of your organization. Yes. I was just going to say, yeah, just because you have an idea that thinks that works doesn't mean it's a fit for the credit union industry and the culture of my organization. That's a, that's a common mistake a lot of salespeople make is they sell you the product before they even understand who you are. And I think that's a, you know, and, and on top of that, the, the other part of it is when they come to you and have some story based on a report that they read or whatever the case is, and they think that they understand who you are based on that rather than having a discussion or, you know, being introduced through relationships and that kind of thing, it's uh it's it's a crazy way that they that, that they continue to uh, to try to sell the products, but um, just just a 
a constant battle uh, figuring out where to deploy the dollars. Well, well, Dustin, uh, we're right at about 40 minutes. So I appreciate your time. And I'd love to have you back uh, as the world changes and uh, get your thoughts on what's going on. And we can talk about the universe. Um, I'm going to see you plenty over the next four years uh, as my backstabbing son turned down Penn State to go to Pitt. So I'll be stopping by the office quite a bit more uh, to see you you guys out at Clearview. So any parting words for the group? Uh, no, I just want to thank you very much for the time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to work with you over the last uh, two and a half years. Uh, you were one of the first people to reach out to me um, after my introduction here at Clearview, and I, I want to thank you for that. And it's, uh, it's I'm looking forward for the future of the relationship. All right, and me too. So, so this is Mark Ritter, your CEO of MBFS and host of Credit Union Conversations. Thank you to Dustin Holmberg, Vice President of Lending at Clearview Federal Credit Union out in Western Pennsylvania for joining me today. Please subscribe to Credit Union Conversations on your favorite podcast network. We drop episodes every two weeks on Tuesday. So uh, go ahead and subscribe and be sure to listen to us uh, while you're at the gym, while you're at walking the dog, while you're on your way to work or wherever you listen to your favorite shows at. So thank you. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.